Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, where we've been studying the resurrection. And not just the resurrection of Christ, who was the first to actually resurrect, but the resurrection of the body, that being the body of believers. And we've talked about the power outflowing from the resurrection that brings life to what would otherwise be dead. It is his life that breathes life into dead circumstances, the dead circumstances of our living. And we talked about that last week. He is life to us in all things. Now, that is resurrection power. Not just life from death, but life that lifts me out while living among the dead. And the problem is that we do live among the dead, don't we? As Christians, we live upon those who are dead towards God. They do not recognize him. And we live among Christians who live as though God doesn't exist. They only have a periphery view of him. That verse in Philippians 3.11 is a verse that we read through rather quickly, but we neglect the truth and power of it. That verse says that if possible, Paul speaking, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. It is separating us from the natural process of death in our living, the power of the resurrection. It's the power that gives us peace where there is no peace. It's the power that gives us hope where there is no hope. It is the joy that we receive in the midst of sorrow. You see, the characteristics of his life and character that is within us as Christians are eternal. They do not diminish. This life on the exterior, the externals cannot take the truth of them away from us. The source I have for joy is not affected by my circumstances. The peace that I have within is not troubled by externals. The hope that I have is not placed in anything in this earth, but in him. And the things that I look to in this world, if I look to them as being the source of life in themselves, they will speak death into me. But if I look to them as being literally the illustration of my need for his life in everything that I enter into, they will illustrate life for me. Every situation, every circumstance that I enter into, I choose life or death. I don't mean that when I enter into a circumstance, I choose to be happy about the circumstance or I choose to put my shoulder to the, to the wheel and make the circumstance work or I choose to, to be uh, friendly and loving in that circumstance. I'm not talking about all the external. I'm talking about choosing life or death by choosing to recognize that where I am, he is with me that I am going to look to him where I am, that I'm going to embrace what he 
has for me in that circumstance. I am here because it's all about him. That's the choice between life or death. Anything else will misinterpret the circumstance for you. It'll become the, the external that you're driven to. It'll become the external that you live for. It'll become the external that is life for you. And when you lose it, guess what? You just lost life. We have a resurrection power that lifts us up while living among the dead. It's a power that our lives always have. It's not something we work up. It's not something we plead towards heaven where he is. He is there in spirit, but he's also in us. It's not something we plead for. I know everything that was ever introduced to me through the church was always introduced to me as something that I needed to ask for and pray for and hope that God would give me. And there was conditions involved. It's kind of like the thing you sign when you get a credit card. There's all these little little fine lines in there, things I had to do, the way I had to live, how I presented myself, how I treated others, whether or not I, was, I forgave, whether or not I was forgiven. All of these things were lined up in this thing. And, and I soon discovered that it was almost impossible for me to embrace what they were, whatever they were promoting at the time, whether that was peace or whether that was rest or whether that was some kind of spiritual anointing. I couldn't embrace those things because somewhere in the fine lines, I had not gotten it right. But because we have his life in us, as I uh, reminded you and have reminded you each time about chapter 15, Paul is bringing a defense of the resurrection because of a heretical teaching that was invading that little fellowship. And this teaching denied the bodily resurrection of believers. It was based on Greek philosophy, dualism. And the majority of this fellowship were Gentiles who lived in a Greek culture and who had at one time in their living embraced this culture. So Paul has to speak to them concerning this. And you remember in verse 12, he asked them this question because they were denying the resurrection of the, body, of the body. He was saying to them, now, if Christ the Messiah is preached is raised from the dead, because they would allow for Christ, but they wouldn't allow for the believer. How is it that some of you say that there is no resurrection? In other words, as I told you before, you can't have it both ways. The truth is, is that he secured our resurrection in his own, just like everything else. And so if Christ is raised from the dead, we also shall be raised from the dead. If Christ was resurrected into a body, we also shall be resurrected and receive a body. This is Paul's point. Now, Paul's been about proving this reality and proving the purpose and truth of the resurrection in verses 1 through 28. And now he poses a question. Let's look at our text. And I'm going to start with verse 28 for context. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28 and 29. However, when everything is subjected to him, then the Son himself will also subject himself to the Father, who put all things under him, so that God may be all in all, be everything to everyone, supreme, the indwelling and controlling factor of life. I like the way the Amplified put that. Is, it, is there any doubt that it's about Jesus, huh? Moving to verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being themselves baptized in behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? 
Okay, now in verse 29, Paul poses a very interesting question. And this verse, I will tell you, has somewhere between 40 and 400 interpretations. It is known to be one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament to interpret. And if you were to study all 400 of them and exhaust yourself in each study, it would take the process of about two lifetimes. And at the end, you would come to the conclusion that nobody really has a clear understanding of this verse. However, there are some things we do know for certain. Uh, First, being that the illustration was given to the Corinthians to illustrate the how, uh, to illustrate the how void to them, how void of purpose and meaning many of their beliefs and practices concerning uh, concerning death would be if there were no resurrection, principally the ordinance of baptism. It would be meaningless. It is certain that the Corinthians knew exactly what Paul was talking about concerning being baptized from the dead, for the dead, excuse me, because there were ancient groups, ancient peoples who taught and practiced this with the idea that you could bring the death in the dead into salvation with a proxy or vicarious baptism. In other words, you get baptized for Uncle Ed, who died 10 years ago and didn't know the Lord. Now Uncle Ed's on his way to heaven, right? That's the idea. Sorry if you have an Uncle Ed. There are some around us today that, who still practice this, namely the Mormon. They believe that any of the dead can be saved this way, so it is a common practice. In fact, somebody have, some of them have taken it this so literally that they have picked out names out of history that they want to make sure get to heaven, you know, like William the Great or whatever. They just pull one out and they'd say, okay, I'm going to get baptized for that one and make sure that that one goes to heaven. Napoleon was one of them uh, that they wanted to make sure got into heaven. So all, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people have been baptized in the name of, of the dead. And of course, I'm sure there's a fee attached to all of that, which helped. But it is not, however, a common Christian practice. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach salvation through baptism. And certainly not once you're dead. Okay? It's not in there. In addition, Scripture does not teach that if you are not baptized, you're not saved. doesn't teach that either. That would be a huge disappointment to the thief on the cross, wouldn't it? I don't think he made the baptismal waters before he passed, did he? No, there is really only one way into salvation, and we know that. And that way is closed at physical death. So we know Paul is not introducing some new, strange doctrine in this one verse. That's what we know. We know that baptism is an act of obedience that bears witness to your death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. It is a testimony of faith, not a saving work. So I'm going to give you two possibilities that for me are most credible out of hundreds. Both are based in the original language. First, the Greek word normally used for the word for is gar, which means, incidentally, for. Everybody get that? It's kind of confusing. For, no, F-O-R. F-O-R. In the Amplified, they put it in behalf of. That's how they worded it. But the word that Paul actually uses is not gar, it's hupar. And hupar can mean because of. So Paul could be referring to the people who come to Christ, 
because of the witness of the dead or the martyrs. It has been pointed out that witnessing the stoning of Stephen as Saul probably had a great effect on Paul, particularly as he watched uh, Stephen bear witness to seeing Christ and then asked that his persecutors or murderers be forgiven. So remember that baptism also during that day was a public profession of believers that would often invite death or persecution. Others do not accept this view because of a little thing called a preposition and a noun used in the original language. They read it differently. They read it like most of your interpretations read it. Baptism, baptized, they were baptized in place of the dead one, okay? So in this view, they believe that Paul is referring or referencing the replacement of the saint who has gone with a new saint who will carry forward the name of Christ. Much like replacing a fallen soldier in the army or passing the baton in a race. Now, the first one is easier to grasp, but faces some challenges that are more challenges than the second one. And it's not as straightforward. The second one is less straightforward and has other problems, but it's a little more metaphorical. Ask me which one is the right one. I personally confess that I can't dogmatically endorse either one. I think we're better served by resting in the revelation we have rather than speculating. And we know what it doesn't say. We're sure of what it doesn't mean, and to me that is comforting. It doesn't mean that you can be saved by baptism after his death. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that if you're not baptized, you're not saved. It doesn't mean that either. And Paul's not introducing some strange, weird, and wonderful doctrine. It is an illustration after all. It's not doctrine. So if you come to that verse and you're wondering what to do with it, I would say read it and read it based on what you know rather than what you think it might be, what you know that God isn't saying. I found a lot of scriptures like that when you study. You know the character and the heart of God. Don't let the enemy interpret it for you. Don't let your insecurities and your fears interpret scripture for you. Interpret it in light of his heart. Interpret it in light of his experience. I've re- I have talked to a lot of people who have had issues reading verses and believe God was going to judge them or condemn them or cast them aside based on one scripture taken out of context. They believe that. And even though their interpretation of that one scripture is contrary to the whole context and to the, the whole volume of scripture, they've allowed the enemy to beat them to death with that thing. And they'll come and say, see, it says right here. And I said, well, wait a minute. Let's just take all of that out of there and let's talk about what you know about your father's heart. Because if we can, we can talk about what we know about the father's heart, How did he save you? How righteous were you when he offered you his salvation? If he was ever going to condemn you and cast you aside, couldn't he have done it then? How does he accept you? How does he love you? What is your history with him? If we go down that road, then suddenly everything begins to fall in line. And we we understand that the God that we have taken out of context and made this capricious, judgmental God is not the God of our heart. It's not the God that we worship. So sometimes what you know about God is better, in fact, every time. What you know about God is better than what you don't know about God. And the bottom line is that if there is no resurrection, guess what? You're in a whole lot of trouble. So Paul begins to use his life as an illustration. Look at verse 30. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty. It says, 
Paul says, for that matter, why do I live dangerously as I do, running such risks that I am in peril every hour? Now, this becomes real personal for Paul because he has given his life as evidence of the resurrection. He has sacrificed and suffered to preach the truth of the resurrection. He's walked fearlessly into all manner of danger and what seemed to be certain death to bear this witness. And he says, I am in peril almost every day. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Every hour, every single hour, I'm in peril. Well, that's why it's personal to him. His physical life was not secured by his externals. He lived in a way that was really kind of an enigma to most people who are attached to this world. His physical life was not secured by externals or by things or by people or this things of this world. Doesn't mean that he was careless. Doesn't mean he wanted to die. Doesn't mean he was an adrenaline junkie. It means that he was consumed in the absolute obedience following where he was led. This is because the revelation and intimacy he experienced in obedience was so much more, so much more valuable to him than his comfort, than his safety. He saw that life as being the true life. So he was constantly walking, not purposely into peril, but purposely in in obedience. Philippians 3.8 says, Paul's writing, he says, Yes, furthermore, I count everything as lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish, refuse, dregs, in order that I may win, gain Christ, the anointed one. Through obedience that led from danger, one danger to another, Paul knew Christ. With every threat and suffering, he was able to perceive and recognize and understand him more clearly. So he counted everything else in this life as rubbish. Now, I don't believe that we exclusively know him through suffering. We know him through obedience and faith. Did you hear me? Many people have this old idea that the only way we can know God is through suffering. In fact, that when they determine what the will of God is for them, if it doesn't have some pain in it, it must not be God's will. Now, I got to tell you, that was a reality. In most of my growing up years, when people got up and gave a testimony, they talked about all the suffering they'd been through and how God had led them into it and how God had walked them through it. And all of that is legitimate. But eventually you get the idea that the only way you're going to ever draw close to God is go through a bunch of suffering. And how many of you signed up for that? I don't see anybody rushing down. The reality of it is, is that, no, you didn't sign up for suffering. But suffering may well be a part of it. You didn't sign up for comfort, though comfort certainly will be a part of it. You didn't sign up for prosperity, contrary to what you may hear, though prosperity may be a part of it. You signed up to walk and live with him in obedience. So through faith and obedience, we know him. One is really not possible without the other. Christ could have just as easily made Paul a layman in some safe hamlet, but that wasn't really Paul's path, was it? Acts 9 Verse 15 and 16, speaking of Paul, he says, 
But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man, speaking of Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the descendants of Israel. Verse 16, For I will make clear to him how much he will be afflicted and must endure and suffer for my namesake. See, Paul's path was to be a path of suffering, that he might manifest, get this, that he might manifest the surpassing greatness of his God through the weakness of his body. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Paul says, I assure you by the pride which I have in you, in your fellowship and union with Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die daily. I face death every day and die to self. Now, by the way, die to self is not in the original language. That is the Amplified, the people who wrote the Amplified trying to link that to another verse, but in reality, it's not even in there. In verse 31, Paul becomes even more passionate because look at what he's doing. He's swearing an oath. You see that? He's saying, I swear, I do, I swear. I swear that I die daily. And in the Greek, it might read, I swear by the pride I have in you in Christ, I face death every single day. He is illustrating with his life the resurrection power. The power that defeated death confronts death every day in the life of Paul. And the result is a supernatural strength that animates a frail body. Did you know that faithful is he that called you who will also do it? Everything in life, that path of life that he has you on, he's already empowered you for. In fact, he, he not only empowered you for it, he literally made the path for the power and the power for the path. And isn't that cool? You're not walking into anything ill-equipped. And I said this last week, a lot of people waste a lot of time trying to pray God's power down into their circumstance so they can go forward in the path of God. You know, God called me to preach. And the first thing that I confessed to him was, I can't preach. And he said, good, you're just the guy I was looking for. The reality of it is whatever he's called you to, he's not called you because you have in and of yourself some capability But you know what? He called you because he is going to manifest his power in union with who you are. And he's going to bring glory to the Father at the same time that he is growing and expanding you in truth. I mean, it's really a neat deal. It's like the uh, resorts. It's kind of all-inclusive because everything that I go into, everything that I walk into is already prepared for me. He prepares every step that I make. And you know what? If I see with eyes of faith, I can recognize that. If I see with eyes of flesh, I'm constantly comparing, measuring, wondering. You know, you think sometimes, I don't know if you, you all have these thoughts. Maybe it's just me and my insecurity. But I think, wow, I must be a really awkward expression of him. And you know why I say things like that to myself? Or I speak those things and mimic the enemy's voice? The reason I say those things is because my view of myself is fleshy. I'm appraising myself through the flesh. And you know what? The flesh is very awkward in expressing spiritual truth. It is. That's the nature of a supernatural expression. It's not natural. It's supernatural. What is supernatural for us? Everything that extends itself through the power of Christ and his life beyond this mortal frame. But you know why I'm standing in front of you right now? 
Because his life empowers me. He resurrected from the dead, resurrection power, this life, took it from death to life, and this life has become his expression in preaching. I don't say that bragging. I recognize where it all comes from. And it may not bless everybody, but it doesn't matter if it blesses anybody. I am living in the obedience that he's called me to, and I've been empowered for it. That's why it doesn't matter. And the same thing is true for you. If you, if you sit around and look at what God's called you to, and you say, oh, that's awkward. Oh, that's not as polished. Oh, I'm not very good at it. Shame on you for being so unbelieving. What God has called you to, he has empowered you for, and it will be the exact expression that he's looking for in you. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the mistakes I've made. Well, he does. And by the way, he's not keeping count. If you're a child of God, you know what he says about you? I will remember your sins no more. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.